Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning we're talking about the power of God. You do believe in the power of God, don't you? We sure do, don't we? We're going to, in a moment, look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22 here. But before we get there, I just want to set it up. You've heard of the sect called the Sadducees, right? They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in the immortality of the soul. They didn't believe in angelic spirits or spirits at all. They didn't even go beyond the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible was it. And they stopped right there. They went no further than that. Also, they associated with the upper social and economic echelon in the Judean society. They also fulfilled various economic, political, religious roles. These are the ones who came to Jesus and they thought that they could pull the wool over his eyes. Knowing they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, this is what they say to him. Let's read it. Matthew 22. This is from the easy to read version. That same day, some Sadducees, and you know I wouldn't be me if I didn't say that's why they were sad, you see, right? You knew that, right? Thanks, Aaron. These Sadducees came to Jesus. Uh, see, Sadducees believe that no one will rise from death. The Sadducees asked Jesus a question. They said, Teacher, Moses told us that if a married man dies and had no children, his brother must marry the woman. Then they will have children for the dead brother. Well, there were seven brothers among us. The first brother married but died. He had no children. So his brother married the second woman. The second woman, brother also died. The same thing happened to the third. You think by the third, they, they remember, don't marry that woman. You're going to die. <laughs> right? <laughs> but you would think, but no, they went all the way through. And the third brother and all the other brothers, the woman was the last to die. Of course. But all seven men had married her. Now here's the question coming up. So when people rise from death, which they don't believe in anyhow, whose wife will she be? Jesus answered, listen to his answer, you're so wrong. You don't know what the scriptures say, and you don't know anything about God's power. Two things he brings out. You don't know the word, and you don't know God's power. Two things. I'm telling you right now, it pays to know the scriptures, and it pays to know the power of God. Both. Right? Because if we know both, and what he was telling them is this, if you knew both, then you would believe in the resurrection of the dead. But since you don't, then you're wrong. 
All right. God wants us, in other words, to believe what he says and also to believe that he has power to do what he says. Don't just believe what he says. Believe he has the power to do it. And he does and he will. So God wants us to believe both in his word and in his power. You know, when I first came here 42 years ago, I was invited to go up to Prayer Mountain and hold a service. I'm going to put it in context. You've got to understand this. I know my situation is unique. It's a little bit different. But 42 years ago, I was 27. I was saved three years. I came out of a denominational background that didn't preach the word of God nor teach about the power of God. Getting saved in 76, I went to, to Ramah in 78, two years later. I went nine months to school. That was it. That was my education. Now, I was doing some teaching from uh, Brother Hagin's books and that when I first got saved because they intrigued me. That's where God led me. And I was learning about faith and the principles of faith and how to live by faith and walk by faith and so on, which I am so thrilled that I had that education from the outset of my salvation. Because I cut my teeth on the word of faith that absolutely changed my life and established my destiny. And I could say so many things about the miracles that I've experienced in my life and my family as a result of understanding these principles. But what I want to get to is when I was invited to go there, I was young, naive. I didn't know people were coming to find out who this little Italian whippersnapper, whoever he thinks he is, was. And who's he, what's he all about? So I picked out a message based on Elijah and Elisha from the book of Kings where it talks about how Elisha followed Elijah from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. And I preached it. But before the preaching of the message, I was standing there worshiping like we were here this morning, just worshiping just like that. And we're in the open air on the outside, top of the prayer mountain. And I look over to my right, and I see the glory of God standing. I didn't know it was the glory when I first looked at it. I thought someone was having a cookout. But there was no grill. And I looked twice and I saw it again. I saw just the glory of God just standing right there like that. The wind was blowing and it wasn't moving. Then after a few moments, I looked back over and it was instantly gone. And I thought, whoa, what's this? Well, I got done preaching my message and gave an invitation. Remember, I'm young. I'm new at this. I don't know all about the power of God and all that. When all of a sudden people started to walk up for a prayer, and this is on the open air, in an open air meeting, and one by one as they were coming up, they began falling under the power, falling under the power, falling under the power. Everywhere. I'm just standing back looking like, oh, wow. What's going on here? I mean, I've seen some of it, but that was, to me, a sign, no doubt, that God was at work, and God wanted to do a mighty work. And he wants to manifest his presence. He wants to manifest his power. But his manifested power comes where people believe in it. Where I came from, you didn't even talk about it. You didn't know about it. Let alone do something to promote it. 
Look at um, 1 Corinthians and look at uh, chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Notice the word foolishness there. Some say folly. In some translations it's folly. It's in the Greek moria. M-O-R-I-A. And what it means is where we get our word moron from. You'll put this together, you'll see where I'm going with this. So, the preaching of the cross to them that perish, it's moronic. It's stupidity. You'd have to be a fool to believe in the preaching of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Do you think someone gets saved by believing in the cross as being foolish or moronic or stupid? I never saw a person ever get saved by saying, I believe the cross is stupid. But when someone says, what? He died for me? He was the lamb that was slain? Wait a minute. The gospel? You mean the incarnation? You mean God becoming a man? You mean him walking on earth? You mean him doing things that men ever, ever, never did before? You mean how he stood before all the religious folks and did signs, wonders, and miracles right in front of them, including raising the dead after walking on water? Fishing without a hook? Are you kidding me? And then died a death and rose from the dead on the third day and then went to heaven and came back and showed himself alive, proved himself to be the Son of God? You mean that gospel message you're telling, you're telling me is stupidity, moronic, and foolish? But I'm telling you what, I embrace it. I believe it. I know it's true. And when I said that, guess what happened to me on the inside? The power of God came into me and redeemed my sin-sick soul. Took me from the realms of darkness into the realm of light. Took me as a transplant from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I am no longer under the kingdom of darkness and neither are you. It took power to achieve that. It's not foolishness. The world today, they may believe it. It's foolish, but we don't. Look at the uh, next one. Look at verses 22 through 24. We have three groups here. For the Jews, group one requires sign. And the Greeks, group two, they seek after wisdom. So we need sign or a power and wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. Folly, moronic. But unto them which are called, there's group three. Aren't you glad you're the called out group? Aren't you glad you're the group of the called? To both Jews and Greeks. Those that believe it, Christ is the power of God and He is the wisdom of God. So they want wisdom and power? It's all found in Jesus Christ. That's the only place you're going to find the true wisdom and true power of Almighty God. And that power, praise God, can change a human life. Well, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, look at what it says. Now put it in this context. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. They think it's foolish. They think it's moronic. Not me. I believe it's the power of God. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone. Everyone that believes. Does my believing have something to do where God's power is manifested? You know that it does. 
I've got to believe in it. I've got to promote it. I've got to proclaim it. I've got to declare it. If I don't, it will not manifest. It's the power of God to salvation, soteria, healing, deliverance, wholeness, preservation, and soundness to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. God's power is ever-present. And if you believe it, it will manifest. If you don't believe in it, it won't. I sat in church six days a week and never saw an itty-bitty ounce of the power of God. 24 years. But once I got hooked up with God and the Holy Ghost and fire filled with the Spirit, spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance, I'm telling you, I've had a lot to do with the power of God in my life. What happened? Did God change? I did. I believed it. That's why when that first preacher that I went to that baptized me in that pool of slime and told me, tongues just means, you know, you don't swear anymore when you get saved. What school did you go to? What Bible school did you graduate from? Really? Too late. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I have spoke with other tongues. The Spirit gave me utterance. There was a rushing mighty wind in my life and fire came upon me. And praise God, my tongue was on fire. It's not talking about not swearing. It's talking about receiving the Holy Ghost and fire until it just bubbles up in your soul and comes out your mouth in other tongues. That is what he's talking about. Well, praise God. Look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and beginning at verse uh, 1. This is the Apostle Paul. You know his Damascus Road experience, right? You know how he went from destroying the church to building the church. Trying to stamp out Christianity to promoting Christianity, right? You know his conversion. Well, the brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's, man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should stand not in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Hallelujah. That's why. So Paul was saying, look, Paul was highly educated. He said under the teaching of Gamaliel, he was well taught, well Read, a great orator. He spoke well. And so, if you were talking about it from a natural perspective, he had all this intellectualism. But he said, I'm not here to wow you with words of wisdom, with human intelligence or anything of that nature. I have come to demonstrate to you the power of the cross and the power of the resurrected Christ. So I've come to demonstrate the power of God so that your faith would stand not in man's wisdom but the power of the living God. Beloved, if we don't preach it, if we don't teach it, we're not going to live it. And I'm telling you, every church needs to hear it. Every pastor needs to promote it and declare it and decree it. It's not just about learning. We thank God for education. But we're talking about a God who speaks and says something, who backs up what He says with His power to bring it to pass. Can you say amen? amen. 
That's what it's all about. We believe in a God who has eyes that see, ears that hear. Not these false gods that they have eyes, but they don't see a thing. They have ears, but they don't hear a thing. They have hands, but they don't reach out. They have feet, but they don't walk anywhere. But our God, hallelujah. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, you know the, uh, the, the verse, at least you should. Having a form of godliness, this is the char- these are characteristics of the last days that we're living in right now. And usually we emphasize the first, like so many few verses there. You know, disobedient to parents and uh, entertaining, wanting entertainment more than anything else. But here it goes on to say, having a form of godliness, but denying what? The power thereof. From such turn away. What's he talking about? There's power to change a human life. There is power to heal the sick. There's power to raise the dead. There's power to deliver the addict from whatever he's going through. There is power. God is all about the kingdom coming, not just with word, but with what? Power, dunamis, miracle-working power that will meet the need of all mankind. Jesus is the same today as he was when he walked upon the earth. Guess what? As I was meditating on this and I thought about these Sadducees and these Pharisees, what did they really see before Christ? Power was foreign to them. Healings were foreign to them. People being delivered from demons were formed because you saw the demons that were in the Bible you, as you read through the Gospels. They had no idea that God's power would manifest in such a way. They were taken back by it. But Jesus comes on the scene and after his baptism, he begins to walk the shores of Galilee. And what does he do? Cleanses the lepers, heals the sick, raises the dead. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dumb speak. The lame are made whole. Main body parts are restored. He walks on water. He speaks and the storm comes to a calm. Who is this matter of man who fishes without a hook and gets a draft of fish that you can never believe or just brings money out of the mouth of a fish? You see, they were overwhelmed with the display of this awesome power of God. And they didn't know what to do with it. They couldn't handle it. They said, man, I think if he keeps on doing this, they're all going to go to him. How about this? They wanted signs. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. You'll see that sign. And you know what? They know he was raised from the dead and still didn't believe it. What in the world more can he possibly do for them to show them? He brought Lazarus from the dead and then he was raised from the dead. And they still didn't believe in the power of God. You see why the Sadducees were sad? You see it now, right? Okay. Our faith affects the manifestation of the power of God. In Luke 5, where it says that these physicians and doctors of the law were gathering together and they brought the man that was born of four, it says the power of the Lord was present to heal them, plural. But them did not get healed. The power was there. And I'm sure there were many ailing people that were there. But them did not get healed. But when the man was let down from the ceiling tile through the hole that he he tore apart or whatever. I also think about repaired. I mean, who repaired it, but whatever. And they let him down before Jesus. And he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Then they were all upset because he said, your sins are forgiven you. Who can forgive sins except God? You know, Jesus actually, some, in some places in the Bible, plainly told them, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. 
and they wouldn't buy it, they wouldn't believe it. Well, they saw the man get healed right before their eyes. My point is, even though the power of God was present, them did not get healed. But one person did because he saw their faith. And he said, your sins are forgiven you. And said, what is easier? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked. They saw a display of the power of God that saved a sin-sick soul, but also healed a body that was in need of healing. They saw this power of God. They were, I guess, I don't know what they were. How would you feel if you knew Lazarus and you saw him dead for four days and then he came over for tea the next day? How would you feel? Would you say, I don't believe it? I would hope that we would all say, this is the awesome and amazing power of God. Can you say amen? amen. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we are told that the church in its beginning was a church of power. But you shall receive power, dunamis. The Greek word dunamis. After that, the Holy Ghost has come on you. I would assume then before the Holy Ghost has come on you, you don't have that dunamis. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. But it began with power. It was a church of power. The church of the living God is a church of power. To be bathed in the power of God. To be filled with the power of God. To have the fire of God within the bones of each and every individual. Which we see in Acts chapter 2, but we'll get to that in a moment. But the thing is, the church began as a church filled with power. Because of the Holy Ghost that came upon the individuals. So for them to begin walking in that kind of power almost became commonplace for them. That's why Peter could say, silver and gold, I don't have any, but what I got, I'm going to give to you. What did he have? The power of the name of Jesus to take a man who had never walked from his mother's womb, leaping and walking, entering into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. It was power that did that. Well, then how are we going to understand this power and promote this power among us even today? You know, we're living in a society today right now when it says they deny the power, but denying the power of God. Oh, we can give them religion. We can give them education. But if you try to give them power, look out. Think about it. You get people to come to a church like ours and someone falls under the power. It's like, I'm running out the door as fast as they possibly can. Why? They don't see the power of God on display or manifestation. Matter of fact, this goes back years ago too in the little church downtown Midland when I first came. And a distinguished man, I'll never forget, was in the back of the church. And I gave an altar call and said, if you want, whatever. The altar is open. I don't know this during the time it's going on, but I do know this afterwards because he personally told me. He stood back there and just said to himself, well, I'm really inspired to go up there for prayer, but I will not fall on the ground. I don't know this. No way will I fall on the ground. So he came walking up the aisle. I want you to pray for whatever. I went to lay hands on him, and when I, I didn't even touch him. Next thing I know, he's laying on the ground with a suit on, on his back, no, I just think it's just common. I mean, this is just normal because we believe in that. We believe in God's power being displayed, touching a human life and body 
which God's greater than man is. His power is greater than man's power, right? And so if you come into contact with the supernatural, I think the natural is going to give out, not the supernatural. So he fell under the power and received from God. But see, I didn't know that he was objecting to it before it happened. And after the service was over, he came up to me and said, I said I'm not going to fall. He said, this is real, isn't it? I said, well, yeah, it's real. It's God manifesting himself, you know, through laying on of hands or whatever. It is God's power in manifestation. Now, God basically just, obviously, he wasn't believing for it, right? He was actually believing against it. But aren't you glad that God works with us? Aren't you glad he has pity on us? Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. See, that was God displaying his power to someone to let them know, look, that man didn't even touch you. I did. That's what he was saying to him. I did. Praise God. I've had people run out the door. They'll come as a first-time visitor. Something like that happens. Gone. Why? Because they're not used to it. They're not aware of it. Don't know anything about it. Isn't that a sad scenario when it comes to our churches of today? That we believe in education, we believe in wisdom, we believe in being whatever. But when it comes to the power of God, we don't promote it. See, that tongue business, it's of the devil. That's what I heard when I first got saved. My rebuttal to that person was this. I played in bands, I played in bars, I've ducked beer bottles and everything else while I was playing my guitar. And in that place, in those places of dark places where things are going on, like there's a gun on the table, there's a deal that's going on, and all that sort of thing, I never once spoke in tongues. I went to Pleasant Valley Church in Niles, Ohio, got to the, before the altar, got on my knees and said, I want all of God. They said, you want the Holy Ghost? I said, okay, if that's what I want. They laid hands on me and they said, anything... I said, I got a fire in my tongue. They said, well, then speak. I didn't get the devil. He never let me speak in tongues in bars or bar mitzvahs or wedding ceremonies or class reunions. But you're telling me the devil met me in the the church and made me speak in tongues? It was God. See, the church of today, so, so, so many, they say that that's absolutely crazy. But no. God says, it's my power. Read your Bible. Jesus said, one of the things in my name you'll do is speak with new tongues. Did he not? Why don't we just believe him? Well, if we don't preach the power of God, how are we going to believe the power of God? If we don't believe the power of God, how are we going to manifest the power of God? Listen carefully. Look in the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 10, verse 12. He hath hath made the earth by human intelligence. So that man could understand it. You know why there's a big bang theory? Because man doesn't understand God's power. That's why. He made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom. He has stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Go on down and uh, look at verses 30, uh, chapter 32, verse 17. Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. He made it by his great power, and there is nothing too hard for him. He gave a decree in the mighty waters of the oceans, honor it. 
We're talking about a power that, is, that transcends anything we could possibly understand that He's made available to us that is clearly seen in the acts of creation. And this is what He's pointing out. You want to get help? We can help our faith? Compare your problem and mine to the backdrop of creation. If God can create a universe by His great power, I think He can heal my toe. The sun is 93 million miles away from the earth, and yet I get a sunburn. I should say suntan. I feel it 93 million miles away. We take that for granted, like as if that's, that's just commonplace. That's just natural. Really? Think about the brightness of the sun 93 million miles away that doesn't burn out and won't burn out until God says you're going to burn out. And you can feel its effects, its warmth 93 million miles away. The moon is 238,855 or 56 miles from the earth, yet its gravitational pull has an effect upon our oceans. That's pretty awesome, wouldn't you say? That's a display of God's awesome power. You compare our problem to the backdrop of those things. He knows the stars. He's called them by their names. No wonder he said, is there anything too hard for him? Whether it's our organs, our sight, our hearing, whatever that we face, physical things that we face in life. If we were just to sit down and just observe those things, as he said, look at the book of Romans, I believe it is, chapter 1. Look at what it says. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What is He saying? Look at the universe, and don't tell me that it just happened. Look at the universe... And understand that you serve a create a God of creation. You go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and if you believe that, you got it pretty well made. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Go to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not made anything that was made. He knows how many hairs we have. He's numbered them on our heads. And so when we face a challenge, if we just take a moment to just get, make God bigger and the challenge smaller. Because the devil wants to make the challenge bigger and our God smaller. But when you look at all that and you say, oh my goodness, if we were a few miles closer to the sun, we'd be all gone. Or we'd burn up. Or farther away, we'd be frozen to death. And yet this finely tuned machine continues to function and operate. Why? Well, because he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's why. We need to get accustomed once again to really expecting the power of God to blanket this place every time we walk through those doors that glory hits us in the face and where is this power coming from 
I read somewhere, or I heard someplace, where a song was sung that said, There is power, power, awesome working power in the blood of the Lamb. Who wants to just sing it? Shouldn't we want to experience it? Amen. Amen. So, look at First Chronicles chapter uh, 29, verses 11 and 12. This is from the New Century Version. Lord, you are great and powerful. You have glory, victory, and honor. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. The kingdom belongs to you. Lord, you are the ruler over everything. Riches and honor come from you. You rule everything. You have the power and strength to make anyone great and strong. That means you. How? By believing it. We need to believe that we're transformed by the blood of Jesus. And that we have the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. Dunamis, miracle working power. And if we believe that, then praise God, we become a carrier of it as we live our lives upon the earth. We receive it, and then we give it. Freely we received, freely we give. Uh, look at Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 23 and 24. They were just browbeaten for healing a man who was lame from his mother's womb. You know the story. Peter and John. They were criticized and told, Don't you ever, 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 ever speak in that name ever again. They were afraid of the power of that name. And so should people today honor it as such. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and, and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Oh, Lord, this is a huge problem. I mean, this is something that even you probably can't handle. It's so big, they're coming against us with all forces to say that, Hey, don't you preach, don't you teach. What are we going to do, Lord? No, what did they do? Oh, you're God. You made heaven, earth, and sea, and all that in them is. Hallelujah. You see where they took their focus? Off the problem, and on the problem solver, and how did they get there? You made heaven, you made the earth, you made the sea, and everything in it. And if you could do that, you're enough to help me. You see, by focusing on God's creative power, they minimized the problem and maximized the solution, being God. Now, we read through the Bible and we, we read about earthquakes. Do you know that if God is in the earthquake, it won't hurt you? And if God is in the fire, it won't hurt you. And if God is in the wind, it won't hurt you at all. Unless you're the enemy. Now, you don't want to be on that side. Well, think about it. The earth quaked when Paul and Silas were in prison. It didn't hurt them. It helped them. In Acts chapter 4, we see the same thing happening. The place was shaken where they were assembled together. It didn't hurt them or anything, the building or anything else. It helped them. When God was in the fire, the bush did not burn with Moses. And on, in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, when it talks about the cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them, it didn't hurt them at all. 
It helped them. Matter of fact, it hurt the kingdom of darkness more than anything. Because they got filled with the Holy Ghost. When God is in the wind, it's not going to hurt you. A rushing mighty wind that came in, it didn't hurt them. But now if you're the enemy and there's a rushing mighty wind like a tornado or something like that, you know, look out. Or if you're an enemy and you lie, cheat, steal and all that, and then the earth is open and swallows you up, you better look out. The point is, God's power is seen in all of creation. God's power is available to every individual person. The mentality has to shift from the magnitude of the problem to the greatness of our God. And when we put that in perspective, like in Acts chapter 2, you, you, you saw what took place there? Then we made God bigger than the problem. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from them, and it's a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire and sat upon each of them. It doesn't say that they burned their hair or their scalps. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's what happened. A display of God's power that didn't hurt, but helped and blessed and set them ablaze. In Exodus chapter 15, we'll close with these last couple of verses here. The last one in particular. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. Don't you just love that? Smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fully. It consumes them like straw. When uh, Dante was younger, not that he's all that much older, but when he was younger, one of his favorite scriptures, he would just lose it laughing. In Psalms 18, where it talks about there went a blast out of the nostrils of God. The fire of God came out and he just loved it. Loved it. That this blast from the nostrils of God would consume the enemy. I think God wants to do a lot of consuming. Even today. You see, we're no match for government. We're no match for politics. We're no match for the economy. We're no match for any of this. But I know someone who is. And if we'll appeal to heaven to display his awesome power, guess what? He will. And he'll start right here. Let's close with this last section of scripture. And maybe we'll see it in a better light right now. I don't know if we're able to handle it, but we'll see. Paul's praying to the church at Ephesus that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things, listen, for the benefit of the church. 
And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Can you say amen? amen? He is saying this power that raised up Jesus from the dead, he deposited in you. He deposited in me. And whatever it is that we're going to, greater is he that's where than he that's in the world. Let's promote his power. Let's all stand together.